We're going to take a different approach today. We're not going to be in 1 Peter, which is what we're currently walking through. But uh, this morning, I want to begin with sharing my heart for us as a family, as a group for 2021. And there was a Scottish philosopher and historian by the name of Thomas Carlyle who wrote the French Revolution, A History, in 1837. Took him two years to write it. And when he got done, he gave it to a colleague to read and critique. And his colleague took it, and (laughs) he didn't read it. But what he did was he, he used it for kindling to start a fire. And just like that, two years of countless hours Writing this book went down the drain. Thomas Carlyle was crushed. So much so that he lapsed into a deep, dark depression. It was unimaginable that he could do that all over again. If you've ever done anything close to that, I, think, I mean, just think about a midterm paper that you had to write maybe, or, or maybe a, a paper you had to write in college and how many hours went into that. So think two years of countless hours and you give it to a colleague to say, hey, would you read this and, and give me some good feedback? And, and just like that in flames. It's crushing. But he's going for a walk one day, and he sees this stone wall that's being constructed. And he was transfixed by it. And he stopped, and he's just watching this, 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 this massive wall that's being constructed. And he goes, realizes, wait a minute, it's like just one brick at a time, and this wall is just coming together. And then he realized that, you know, I could do that with my book. If I just took one page, one day at a time, I could write my book again. And that's exactly what he did. Life and ministry are not absent challenges, are they? They're not. I can tell you that I am am beyond honored and humbled to be a pastor. Apart from being a son of God, apart from being a husband, apart from being a father, it is the sweetest blessing I will ever know. But here's what I could not foresee. What I could not foresee was I could not foresee how challenging it would be to lead a group of people to win adults to Christ and make disciples out of them. I had no idea how challenging that would be. I grew up spiritually at the Kansas City Baptist Temple where it seemed like everything you put in the ground, it grew. Everything you threw on the wall, it stuck. So surely I'll just do that, right? It'll just work out that way. I'll just, I'm be, God would have me to become a pastor, so that'll be my experience, right? No. Kaya is the class of young adults, as we know. But when it comes to the five adult fellowships at Midtown, life is the largest. Now, this morning won't say that, but that typically is the case. Life is the largest, and I've heard that life fellowship, and I quote, is stacked with leaders. Stacked. 
I know that some speak very highly of Life Fellowship, and if I, if I read that press and bought it, things couldn't be better. I could sleep really good and feel even not bad about myself. Man, look at life. But when I consider 2021, and I ask myself, how many souls were led to Christ as a result of Life Fellowship? How many baptisms were performed out of Life Fellowship? How many discipleship pairings that we have to discuss uh, for those who are in Life Fellowship, not just Life, but the Great Life Fellowship, right? Then I am tempted to lapse into a deep depression just like Thomas Carlyle. Jesus says in Mark 10, 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. That was true then and is true now. According to the Barna group, only 6% of, 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 of adult Christians made their decision to follow God over the age of 18. That means 94% made decisions as children. Jesus was clear. He mentioned the rich man. The rich man wasn't a child. He was an adult. Brothers and sisters, it is very challenging to win adults to Christ. And even in a disciple-making church like this, it is hard to make true adult disciples. I know now why so many churches just settle for holding services, to die a slow death. I know now why classes like Life Fellowship will settle to just hold classes and die a slow death. It's not that God is not using us. He is using us. I, I, I can tell you about it, and I can see it. It's, it's not that God isn't using us. It's that we're vulnerable to settle for just holding classes. Why? Because it is so hard. It is so hard to win adults to Jesus Christ. In this country, you would say, well, Jesus was talking about a rich man. I mean, my coworkers and my family members and my neighbors, they aren't wealthy. You might want to check with the rest of the world. Because to the, rest of, to the rest of the world and many places on this planet, the poorest in America are doing very well. It is hard to win Americans to Christ and make disciples out of them. And, and we know that. I mean, the, the, the people that you work with, the, 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 the people in your family, many of them, these are educated people. I mean, we have a lot of professionals in life fellowship. You're working with people who have bachelor degrees, master degrees. You're working with people who are highly skilled at what they do. You're talking about people who are in their, you know, mid-30s and up. Guess what? The concrete has set spiritually. Their minds are made up. Their hearts are hard. And that can be discouraging. And so we say, you know what? We're just not going to do that. That's too hard. 
So we'll just disciple the few that just kind of stumble into life fellowship and somehow make their way here. We'll, we'll disciple them. And or maybe some of us are entertaining the fantasy that one day Brandon's going to come to me and just offload 20 people from Kaya so we can have a larger class and feel better about ourselves and feel more successful. If I can be clear, that's not my plan. And I'm not having that conversation with Brandon, and it's not my heart. I don't need a bigger class so I can feel more important and that my ego is stroked. That's not what God has on my heart. My heart is always enlarged to see all of us love the Lord, love his word, serve him as well as we can, grow in Christ. That's my heart for you. It's my heart for me. But my heart is as big to see us lead people to the Lord and make disciples of Jesus Christ out of them. That's my heart. But given how incredibly hard that is, and it is that hard, how do we do that? And this is usually where the leader will stand up or a leader will stand up and unveil his master plan. Here's the master plan to solve that riddle. Here's the fix, and I've got it. That's not where I'm coming from this morning. I don't have it like that anyway. Here's what I do have for us this morning. I have three basic faith lessons from, of all places, a dog. One of the things that God keeps teaching me is, I can learn from anything and everybody, even a fool. There's something to learn. So we're in Matthew 15, if you haven't found your way there. We're in Matthew 15, and I'm just trusting the Lord to meet with us today and to speak with us and to get our hearts. I'm so desperate for the Lord to get our hearts. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Faith lessons from a dog. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. So from this Gentile woman, uh, the first lesson that we learn is the lesson of desperate faith. Uh, the lesson of desperate faith. She cried unto Jesus. That was a great outcry. Next, she begged for mercy. Have mercy on me. And notice it's an exclamation point. She's crying out. Understand, mercy is the cry of the weak and desperate. Mercy is the cry of the weak and desperate. She knew that she was weak. She knew that she was desperate. She knew it. For starters, she was a woman. Uh, Jewish culture at this time uh, found it to be disgraceful for a man to even 
talk with a woman publicly. So here's, she's a woman. That's, if, you know, if you're counting, strike, strike one. Uh, next, not only was she a woman, but she was of Canaan. Now, in Mark's account, he says that she was a Syrophoenician. Canaan rested between um, Syria and Phoenicia. So she was a Syrophoenician. Well, that's definitely not or was not good for her because to the Jews, that made her a dog. She was a Gentile, but she was decided on who Jesus was. Look at what she said. She said, O Lord, thou son of David. That term, son of David, is messianic. It referred to him or it acknowledged him as the Messiah. Now, she was clear on who she was addressing, but the issue with that term, as far as she would have been concerned, was that term was for Jewish use only, not Gentiles, not dogs. But she was desperate. Look at her situation. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Her daughter was demon-possessed. By now, many of us have learned that there are few things. There are few things that will drive you to your face like a child who is hurting and struggling. Few things will grip and squeeze your heart and bring you to your knees like a child who is in peril. This is her situation. In Mark's account, we're told that she fell at his feet. She was desperate. That is the posture of someone who is weak and desperate, and they know it. But she was one of many in the Gospels who cried out for mercy. The two blind men, look at Matthew 9, 27 in your notes. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. The father of the lunatic son, uh, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. The ten lepers, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The tax collector and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mercy is the cry of the weak and desperate. I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that uh, some of us have been deceived by Laodicea. Because some believers, listen, have actually graduated from mercy. You've graduated. Uh, those graduates see mercy as something that is for the unsaved or the beggarly. Uh, that's something that is for those who just can't help themselves. They're just so weak and deplorable, and they're just a waste of space. And so, yeah, they need mercy, those kinds of people. 
those who are broken and who are beyond repair, they, they need that, not me. It's not for those who are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, listen, including mercy. If that's true, then why are God's mercies new every morning? Why is it that when we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, how do we do that? By the mercies of God. We can't even present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God without his mercies. Epaphroditus, a companion in labor and fellow soldier of the Apostle Paul, was sick nigh unto death. And how did God spare his life? It was by God's mercy. See, the cry for mercy is our acknowledgement that we are deserving of the opposite of what we are begging God for. Like, God, I know in my flesh, I know in terms of who I am, I know that what I'm actually begging you for, I actually deserve the opposite of that. God, I haven't graduated from mercy. I understand that, Lord. I'm weak and desperate. Please hear my heart. If you have graduated from mercy, you need to re-enroll. You need to re-enroll soon, <laughs> like right now. This Gentile dog was superior in faith to those who had an inferior view of her. She, Jesus was actually using her to teach them an invaluable lesson. This is why she was not offended by what followed her plea for mercy. Look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. This woman had publicly prostrated herself to Jesus. And how did he respond? He answered her not a word. I mean, she had publicly face-planted herself at his feet, and he didn't even answer. Wow. How about that? And to add insult to injury, his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. So here's a weak woman, a desperate situation, comes and prostrates herself before Jesus, and his disciples essentially say, Go away. She's a nuisance and an inconvenience. His disciples. This woman understood something that only, and this is good, guys, 
This woman understood something that only the weak and desperate truly understand, and that was this. Jesus did not owe her a thing. See, when you get mercy, you get that. When you understand mercy, you understand what you truly deserve. That's the issue. That's why she started with mercy. She knew that Jesus was not obligated to even acknowledge her. He was not sent to the Gentiles. She knew that. Life fellowship, I need you to hear me now. The Lord Jesus Christ does not owe us a class that is overflowing with people that we have won to Christ and that are getting baptized and that are growing as disciples. He doesn't owe that to us. That shouldn't just happen because, well, we want that to happen. Well, shouldn't it just, shouldn't we all just walk in here in a few weeks and there are 20 people that just got saved and, and, and we're scheduling their baptisms and we're talking about discipleship? I mean, shouldn't that just happen because we all want that to happen? No. <laughs> Is that what the Lord desires? Yes. And so many more. But to believe that we can see that happen without having this kind of desperate faith is Laodicean thinking. That's the problem. Is we want that to happen, but we don't want to have this kind of faith and this kind of humility and this kind of brokenness that says, Lord, we can't. You know, if there's one thing I have learned over the years, and God keeps reminding me of it because it's critical, and my son's learning it as he's growing as, as a leader, he has a Bible study, and he, he evangelizes and all of that. Hey, man, you can't make people fill in the blank. You can't. But you know what you can do? You can get on your knees, and you can cry out. You can pray, God, please, please. So Jesus answered her not a word initially. His disciples wanted her just to go away. And when he did answer, what was it? I didn't come here for you. You're not a Jew. So guess what she did? She got on Facebook. She had it back then. She found a connection somewhere. She got on Facebook and she blasted Jesus as a sexist and a hypocrite. That's what she did, right? Was there 25 tell us? Then came she and what? Worshipped him. Saying, Lord, help me. Okay, confession, you ready? I told my wife this this morning. I said, I'm going to make a confession of life fellowship, and I just want you to be aware of it. I have a crush on this woman. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about this woman we're reading. 
She's phenomenal. Isn't this a beautiful woman? I mean that as a compliment. That wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Man, maybe I'm just, I'm getting older. I'm losing my filter. Was that funny, bro? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let me clarify for all of you viewing. I love my wife. She's my one and only. My whole point is, isn't this an amazing woman? That's my point. I'm just saying I, I, I'm very fond of her faith. That's all. <laughs> okay, that didn't go over quite like I thought. Moving on. <laughs> she teaches us a lesson of determined faith. How about that? Everything was stacked against her, and she had every reason to walk away and give up. Did she not? Every reason. But would you notice two things in verse 25 that I find remarkable? Number one, she worshiped Jesus before he even answered her prayer. How about that? Our worship can be so conditional, right? Well, Lord, if you bless us with souls saved and baptisms and... <laughs> Man, a basket of, of disciples out of like, we'll, boy, we'll, we'll really worship you then. Or maybe there's something in your life that you're trusting God for that only he can do, and, and, and your situation is as desperate as hers. But what you're saying is, is, Lord, as soon as you answer that prayer, then I'll worship you. That's not what she did. Her worship was born out of faith, which is why she worshiped before her prayer was answered. Her faith was determined. Notice next, her position was essentially, it was Jesus or nothing. Lord, help me. Even after he said, hey, I didn't come for you. You're not a Jew. She worshiped and said, Lord, help me. Guess what? She didn't go away because she didn't have a plan B. It was Jesus or nothing. Is that your position? Listen, we're, we're all facing filling your blank. What's your position? Is it, well, I'll try Jesus, but if that doesn't work out, then I've got my backup plan over here called MasterCard. Just in case. She had no plan B. Her faith was set on and in Jesus alone. It was a determined faith. In 2022, it has only gotten harder to win adults to Christ in this country and make disciples out of them. What do we do? Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Chariots and horses represent the military power and might of man. We don't trust in that. Can I just tell you? I'm an open book. <laughs> I've had moments of serious discouragement. Serious discouragement. 
Maybe Life Fellowship needs another leader. Maybe I'm not the guy. This winning people to Christ and making this, I mean, this is difficult. This is hard. How do I crack this nut, God? Maybe there's somebody else that has a better plan or a sharper vision. Maybe I'm not the guy. And if I'm not, I'm okay with that. But what that did was that, that tempted me to, okay, I've got to, I've got to devise this great plan so that we're not just holding classes. What is that plan, God? What is that plan so I can stand before all of you and put you at ease and you go, oh my goodness, we are so thankful to be in Kenny's class because did you hear that plan? No. One of the hardest things I've had to learn over the years has been one of the reasons that God often doesn't bless our plans is because our faith is in our plans, not him. So guess what? If my faith is in my plan and my plan works, I wonder who gets the glory. That's not the position any of us want to be in where we are competing with God for glory that is only his and his alone. Simply the plan is we will remember the name of the Lord our God, not Kenny's plan. That is the position of the weak and desperate, which I am. <laughs> Listen. It is so good for you. It is so good for me to know that we are weak and desperate. It is always good for me to know that, Lord, I can't, but you can. It is so good for me to always remember that, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. I can't. God says, great. Now I can be God in your life. And you will know and everybody will know that it was me and not you. Get out of the way, right? Verse 26, to come down the home stretch. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Do you understand now why I was trying to really compliment this woman? She was amazing. Not as amazing as Lori Morgan. Not even close. I know she's watching. Just want to make sure you got that. Did you hear that? Okay. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So a test that was already hard just went next level, did it not? That was the common view of Gentiles by Jews, dogs. Zip. But at every step in the test, she passed with flying colors. And would you notice every, no matter what his response was, every time she addressed him, she called him Lord. 
She had every reason to be insulted, offended, irate. I can't believe you. How dare you? Lord, Lord, Lord. She never took the position of, I am worthy of you treating me better. I am worthy of you answering my prayer. This is what I'm saying. If we want God to to work and move mightily amongst us, we've got to learn from her. But her response in verse 27, put it over the top with Jesus and it should for us. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So she teaches us the lesson of dramatic This was, and this is, dramatic faith. It's insane. Remarkable. Notice Jesus' response in verse 28. O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Notice that he spoke about her faith first, and then he spoke about the healing after that. That was the issue. The issue wasn't that her daughter was demon-possessed. He could handle that with no problem. The issue was, what do you believe about me? That was first. Listen, I cherish every Sunday that we have together here in Life Fellowship, and I cherish the times that the Lord gives us when we're not in this space together. But here is what I cherish as much. I cherish. Every Friday morning that we get to get together at 6.30 a.m. over Zoom and pray. Sam said something at Mission Focus that really resonated with me, and it still is. He said, prayerlessness is our claim of independence from God. Prayerlessness says to God, I'm not weak, I'm strong. It says, I'm not desperate, I'm capable. It says, I don't need you, I've got this. That's where the great plans come out of. That's where the master plan comes, because I've got this. No, I don't. For some of you, you genuinely cannot make that at that time. And that's not a problem. But for some, it's not that you can't make it. It's that you're just not interested and desperate enough to join us and say, God, please help us. Please help us. Let me share with you how we're going to be praying throughout the year. And on Friday morning, I put this in your notes. So, and you can take this, and if you want to just take one of these a day, and then in your own personal time, you can pray over these. But, but on Friday mornings, we'll be rotating through these. We'll give attention to each one of these. So we'll have a week where we'll talk about faith, have a week we'll talk about fruit, and, and we'll just pray over that. Let me just high level this for you. Faith, that we would have a faith that is desperate, determined, and dramatic. How about that? 
Lord. You know what I'm saying, right? This woman, again, she would have been despised and looked down on then by the Jews. But I'm telling you, he said, great is your faith. God says, be like her. Believe me like her. Trust me like her. Fruit that we would beseech the Lord to be fruitful and winning souls and making disciples. God, give us fruit lest we die. I remember one of, the, one of the best Friday mornings we ever had, Keith, was I think it was you gave us, like, we, we, were, we had names that we were praying for. That was amazing. Just specific names of people that we were trusting God for to come to faith in Christ. Fear that we would have a high and holy view of God. That we would have a biblical view of God, not a worldly view of God. Focus that we would see ourselves as fishers of men and ambassadors for Christ. If I were to ask you what you do, you would tell me I'm a this, I'm a that, but you know what the Bible says about you? The Bible says you are an ambassador for Christ. The Bible says that you are a minister of reconciliation. The Bible says that you are a fisher of men. That ought to be the focus of your, that ought to be first. Everything else is is about that. So wherever your workplace is, whatever your job title is, you know what your job title is in heaven as far as God's concerned? Wherever you work, you are a fisher of men. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's got to be our focus. Following that we would follow the Lord with a whenever, wherever, and whatever heart. That, Lord, I'm all in. I don't have any lines. I don't have any. Well, God, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll follow you to this point. But once you ask for more than that, eh, I'm out. No, God, I'm all yours. Remember Romans 12, 1, living sacrifice? It's completely, it's, it, it pictured the burnt offering in the Old Testament. I am 100% yours, as Sam would say in a southern Missouri way, lock, stock, and barrel. How about that? I'm impressed that I could say that. I didn't grow up saying anything close to that. I didn't even know what that meant growing up in South DeKalb. So whatever that's worth. How about that? Fellowship, that our relationships with one another would be deep and meaningful. You know what? My heart for us is that we are really life fellowship, not a class. I, I've said this before. Listen, I... Man, if you're coming, if, if life fellowship revolves around, if it revolves around me, we're already in trouble. So you should never come and be a part of this because, well, I hope Kenny's teaching today. But what if I'm not? Does that mean it's a bad Sunday for you? No, man, look around. I know a lot of people aren't here today, but no, you come to life fellowship to be a part of life fellowship. We're, we're to be a family. Right? I mean, man, some of the most amazing times that I, that I have had is, man, I'm looking at some of these guys that I have sat with over breakfast, lunch, and dinner for hours. Like, just talking and listening and laughing, and I love these dudes, man. Dudes, does that, is that expired? Is, is that a good word? Oof. Jonathan lets me know if I'm like way like, dude, nah, don't use that one anymore. <laughs> okay, I did good. Okay. 
Our family, right? Not, not just some lecture, academic, well, I go to life so, you know, just to get some teaching. No, 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 be a part. Finally, family. That our marriages will be biblical and that we would train up children, our children, in the way they should go. I do know this. If your family's a mess, you don't even care about your lost neighbors. You don't care about your lost coworkers. You don't care about making disciples. How can you? If your home life is a mess, if your marriage, if, you're, if it's World War III and your kids are a mess, how can you care about anything else than that? Well, let's pray about that. And we're going to give some specific attention to that, to just try and do everything we can to, to help all of us keep that together. But let me close with this as my time is over at this point. And I need you to hear this. I need to hear this. But one of the reasons God does not work mightily amongst us is because our self-sufficient attitude and lack of faith prevent him from doing so. If your heart attitude before God is, I got it. Which says, I don't need to pray. God says, okay. Then I will respond to that. And I will let you get the best of what you can do. But it won't be my best. And so I don't want to say to God, and I don't want us to say to God that we got anything. We got nothing. Except a faith that is desperate, determined, and dramatic. Father, thank you for your word. It is so simple. It's so clear. God, help us to embrace these things in our heart for your glory. Lord, help us to be a people with a desperate faith, a determined faith, and a dramatic faith so that you can get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.